0: Hello, Podmates! Ito na ang pangalawang bahagi ng aming kwentuhan ni Lila Ramos-Shahani. Pinag-usapan namin ang kanyang kontrobersyal na open letter sa kanyang Uncle Ed, former President Fidel V. Ramos, noong 2009. At ang reaction dito ng kanyang pamilya. Ibinahagi rin niya ang huli nilang pag-uusap noong nakaraang taon. Nabanggit mo na naging Persona non grata, ka sa familia and uh, many members of your family did not want to talk to you about it. Well, just just to refresh, you no, know, this this open letter from you as as FER's, uh niece. This is uh, more than ten years after he stepped down as president. His his presidential term ended. No, uh, brought you know raised raised these questions about human rights and also the controversies during. During his time no what provoked you to do that sabi mo nga, you you initially wrote him privately and then published this open letter on your blog which of course sabi mo nga, became viral and you got a lot of responses and we're even talking about it now no so why did you decide <laughs> to make to, to, to publish yeah. this open letter rather than keeping it private
1: to, to the people who have said packet to own 2009. Um, you have to understand the psychology of being in a family for a very, very long, all your life, where your ideas are not always important. And then, of course, my mother being a diplomat, we lived all over the world. We were like in Romania and Australia and Hungary, Austria, Kenya, you know, at the grad school. You know, we were all over the place. So, um, for me, I remember the clincher was the internet. Mm-hmm. I think what happened was at that point, I was a doctoral candidate in England, but my academic advisor left England and went to New York. And so I went to New York, but we could continue working. And I was also moonlighting for the UNDP to pay my bills. And um, it was Typhoon Ondoy. And this was the first time that I could see on the screen all these human beings struggling. Mm-hmm. And those people have said, dami dami naman sa Pilipinas. pa yun pa mo. And I was like, well, I apologize, but I was not as affected as the others. But in this one, you know, the, the lack of lifeboats and the role of Gibo um, and who I thought at the time my uncle was going to endorse, um, at least officially, I had a lot of friends Kasi yung mga naging former detainee na galit sa akin nung ko from college nung first ako sa CCP over the years naging kaibigan ko na rin sila kasi naintindihan ko na ang hinanakit nila na intindihan din nila ang hinanakit ko at um, you know so i saw a lot of my friends Standing on rooftops, you know, filming the waters. And I just got so outraged and yung know, parang ano, like, kasi galit na, galit na ako ng hello Garci palange. Eh. And I really did, was so unhappy when my uncle was constantly defending Gloria Arroyo. And in fact, my mother supported FPJ. My uncle supported GMA, So you can imagine how awkward going to the cemetery is to greet our lolo and lola or, you know, going for lunch. Iba-iba ang pananaw ng mga tao sa pamilya. So I think, you know, it was Ang Patuan, and then Ang Patuan Massacre, Hello Garci, Inis na-inis na and then Kondoy, And I just, you know, I was like, don't support this person who's going to make a mockery of your legacy. So, yeah, I think that uh, Ampatouan massacre just broke my heart. And I just, I was reeling. And so that's what happened. I wrote a letter and I sent it to him privately. And I said, you know, if I don't hear from you in a month's time, I hope you understand I'll put it in a blog, and
0: sure enough, it wasn't read. There was no response, and so that's exactly what I did. At that time, Lila, because no, um, wala pa parang formal or overt uh, endorsement, because malapit na nun, eh. I, I recall, no, this was at a time when you know, remember, um, uh, Cory Aquino had uh, passed away uh, in August 2009, which kind of change the political dynamics no? Uh, in the country, and then biglang lumitaw yung pangalan ni Noy Noy, yung anak ni Cory, as a possible candidate, and from the tone of that open letter uh, to FBR, it seemed like you were inclined, very inclined, towards supporting Noynoy, while your uncle was inclined to endorsing, you know, Gibo or even someone else whom you disagreed with. So it was actually in a way a partisan open letter. You wanted your your uncle to, you know, uh, maybe reconsider some of his own uh, political inclinations, no, for the coming election of yeah. 2010.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I think that in 2009, 2010, I, I drank the Pinoy Kool-Aid myself you know, and I mean, I, and now of course, I'm much more critical, although in retrospect, I, I still believe that he did some important reforms. And, you know, it's not really anyone's place to tell anyone what to do, but there's nothing wrong with a, a, a young person saying, hey, I hope you reconsider, you know, this. You know, and again, the reason my uncle supported Corey, but he would not support Pinoy. And in my view, it has a lot to do with the fact that Pinoy was not macho enough. You know, it was kind of, I mean, when when Mar and Noi Noi went to Alabang to get the endorsement of my uncle, Noi Noi was on his cell phone the whole time. That kind of thing, you know, it's just that kind of thing stays in the memory. He didn't like that. But yeah, and again, he didn't have to follow anything that I thought. But it was, I think, more the fact that I drew attention to certain things that he did not know I knew. Okay.
0: Well, one of those things that you... Uh, brought attention to you no know, especially in the months leading to the last election last may was the torture that happened during the marcos regime during the Mar- during the martial law years you no know, uh, when your uncle uh, played a very prominent role i mean that could even be an understatement you no know? you researched this quite deeply and you cited in a well-known facebook post that was also widely read, no? About particular torture cases, no? You really, really looked at the forensic evidence, and you credibly um, presented uh, this evidence and wrote about it uh, very eloquently. And I guess what added to your credibility was you were related to FVR, no? Um, but at the same time, later on, the nung namatay si FVR, no? Um, yung isang conclusion mo. Uh, after doing all of this research, sabi mo, if I may quote, no, FVR had an idea about what was happening under his watch. You no, know, this is during martial law. Uh, but he did not directly order, let alone orchestrate, torture sessions, unlike General Fabian Ver, Marcus's chief henchman. You know? Now, we all know that FVR was had a very important role during the martial law regime, you no? Know? So how do you know that he did not directly order the torture sessions? Because someone, you know, knowing that you're related to FVR, might well, raise an eyebrow at this. Na oh, because ni FVR, kaya parang ino absolve niya yung sure. tito niya, no? oh, so, sure. so how do you how do you know that he did not directly order? And then parang you're in, 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 and then and then kind of passing the blame to General Fabian Bear.
1: Um, I think. Um Well, a couple of things. One is I've now interviewed a lot of former detainees for an academic paper I'm writing for a book that's coming out on Philippine trauma and memory. So for that research, hindi lang yung mga former detainees in Luzon and Visayas, but also... Massacre survivors from Mindanao. Na napakaiba naman ng kanilang mga kwento. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've got affidavits up to the wazoo in here with me. I've got the files because mm-hmm. hindi pwede ng academic paper na lang eh. I mean, you've got to corroborate it and cite your sources and they have to be legitimate sources. So first of all, um, uh, a lot of the survivors, in fact, the, this is, I think the most moving thing for me is after my uncle died, I got a lot of letters from these former detainees I had been interviewing. And they're beautiful letters. They've said, you know, like, like um, you know, my mother went to your uncle and asked um, him to have my husband released, and thankfully, you know, the beating stopped. And of course,
0: shepherd the son. Your, your mom was intervening even when she was part of the Marcos government. She was uh, intervening on behalf of political detainees who were being tortured. I just want to make,
1: uh, make clear. No, no I'm about- sorry. I'm, I'm quoting, well, that she was doing that too, but I, I'm quoting. The former detainees who wrote me and said, for example, my mother, my mother contacted uh, your uncle to ask if I, my sister or my brother could be released from detention. And he, you know, he signed the release papers and we're very grateful, blah, blah, blah. Um And there were letters where very long narratives about about there. I have them. Um, But again, you know, it's not uh, an either or. I'm not really terribly interested in there. But Mm. I mean, the, the Hawaii court case files are quite clear. I mean, you read them all in the same way that you read the Human Rights Victims Violations Claims Board Uh, data from the Memorial Commission. I mean, the affidavits are there. People do name names and people have, you know. And I think it's a tragedy that, and again, I think my uncle was also um, maybe uh, partially responsible for this. Nobody really has been made accountable for torture in the Philippines, except for the case of Jeremy Corre. And I know that the anti-torture law was in 2009 and it's not retroactive. But that being said, we all know naman, I mean, Al McCoy has done so much research and his yeah. name names. So none of those people uh, were made accountable. They just were transferred and moved up. Okay, pero y- itong sinabi
0: mo no? na uh, FBR... Did not directly order, according to your own research and maybe others. And then, we have a historian ni si Alf, Alfred uh, McCoy, no? Uh, yung American historian who's done a lot of research uh, on martial law and the role of the military. You know? So, what is it natin FVR did not directly order? Kung, let's assume that's true. Ano? Is that enough to absolve no. FVR and other no. professional no. soldiers? Even if they did not actively oppose torture and other abuses, because, um, kunyari, I'm sure he knew about what was going on, uh, di ba? I mean, your your uncle was di naman siya, ha, uh, bystander lang nung panahon ng martial law, no. But um, but he did not directly order. Mo nga, but. At the same time, he probably did not actively oppose torture and the other abuses.
1: Yeah, I think that he may have looked the other way, yes. And I think that that is, I mean, you know, absence is presence. Uh, omission is commission. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, the fact that he was there and his signature is on cases and people died. Yeah, that's, I mean... I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm just telling you empirically relative to the people I've talked to. But, you know, I'm open to having that opinion changed. I mean, I'm open to people writing me or calling me and saying, hey, you know, I mean, I know that in the case of June Kimpo, that's something that Nathan Kimpo and I, you know, we did talk about that. I have no vested interest in in glorifying his brand. In fact, my whole philosophy as a human being is that heroism is that uh, the search for heroes is what makes us shy away from the burden of freedom to think for ourselves and it's a, um, we have a responsibility to think for ourselves. So I just don't think he's a hero. I don't believe in the notion of heroes. Okay. Alina uh, I want to bring up a
0: debatable point no? <laughs> that you made uh, in, in your post. And I guess a form of reckoning uh, or an, at least a, an assessment so far, a preliminary assessment so far of of your uncle, no. Uh, after he passed away, Sabi muna eh, He was a better military man than politician, no? I I I want to ano lang uh, argue that point lang if you don't mind. In a way, because Sabi muna he was a successful salesman for the country, so as a, as president. But at the same time, yung yung point mo nga, that he was he was probably a better military man than politician. You know. Uh, itong napag-usapan natin about his past as a military officer and in fact the one of the enforcers of of martial law, no, could be seen as much more controversial than his role as a politician, as because he really became a politician uh, when he became president. He ran for ran for president. No? Yes. I mean, as a military man, um, ano ba yung mga naging achievement niya in the larger scope of things? You mentioned his achievements as. As president, no. But I mean, right now, Lila, we still have an insurgency, It's still ravaging the country. Pukang yung martial law regime. Uh, you know, historians will say, "Ano accomplish naaccomplish nito?" No, uh, daming torture, etc. So, could a could a case? be made, that he was a better politician than military man.
1: Yes, actually, Holly, I absolutely take your point. And what I mean is, you're absolutely right. And I stand corrected. I have to qualify what I'm trying to say. It's clear that I did not achieve it in the post or in the rapper piece. What I was trying to say that from a performative point of view, in terms of um, how well someone did Yung uh, and, Dating. And, and also from a personal point of view in terms of, I certainly liked him better when he was a military man because he was kind of elegant and respectful and gentlemanly, as far as I knew at least to me, right, and to my family. And uh, he was um, you know, very much part of the officer and gentleman mode as far as I during those years, the way I do now. Um, and I think like I didn't like my mother as a politician either, because you have to pander. So, you know, you sing, you dance, you you do silly things to get attention, and that's the way it is. That's how you have to communicate. But I, I really, you know, I just don't enjoy people who sell themselves. You know, I just—it's just not something that has ever been of interest to me. Mm-hmm. But you are absolutely right. I mean, in retrospect, um, I have to qualify that point. I guess what I'm trying to say is during the military years, you could still dialogue with him. He had that, he, he, he had the capacity to listen, at least to us. No, I can't really speak about his relationship with other people, but I would say that the more that he especially during the presidency, that we were no longer allowed to call him Uncle Ed. It was always Mr. Mm. President, which is yeah. fine. Okay. Which is fine. But what I mean is, it's also wala na yung, um, can I ask you about walana yung ganoan? And so um, that included very valid inputs from sectors in the family during those years. But I take your point. I... I, I I agree that, yeah, I just I guess what I'm trying to say is, um by the time he became president um at least that was my experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas when they were younger, it wasn't like that. he would always ask for advice
0: mm-hmm. my main experience with him uh you know on a personal level was after he. Uh, ended his presidential term no he was a, a as a former president I actually saw him more because he was more accessible no I mean in a personal way I mean alam naman, no see si FVR I, I think to his credit uh, more than any other president after his presidency si Fvr no was was a very accessible he showed up at a lot of events and he wrote a lot no uh, yun nga, more than any other former president FVR wrote. About his thoughts, about his opinion, about what was going on, about uh, his history in a way it was his way of I guess taking care of his legacy or giving his point of view about uh, history uh, during his time no but I want to ask you know since you're probably more familiar than most people about what he wrote and what he said, did he ever own what did he ever own up to during martial law? Mainan Bas in na accountability or or even wrongdoing during martial law?
1: I mean, that that's the, th- the reason why I feel the need to write a book not about FVR but about FVR and my mom is because I believe that he deserves more than all these puff pieces that we've seen over the years. And I mean, it's all, you know, kaya natin to, and I think in one interview, he did say that the EDSA one was my atonement, but I mean, I asked him so many times, he, he didn't answer, and that way, you know, he was very gifted, I mean, he... Um, sorry, sorry, Lila, what did you ask him? Oh, what? I asked him again and again about human rights, but... Okay. You, you, it's not like if you're an Arthurian knight and you're waiting to draw your lance and you say, May I know when you feel you committed something? And then someone throws Agent Orange at you and your horse is dead. And then, Walana, you, you jewel. I guess what I'm saying is that I did ask him and he would just make a joke about something completely different. And then the conversation would shift and, mm-hmm.
0: and- mm-hmm. other- mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what
1: Magaling siya. You see, so I mean, I asked him so many things. Joe Devanesha, Joe Almonte, George Bush, Sr. Uh, you know, Iraq, Gaddafi. I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> I asked, and yeah. Vince, Vince asked. I mean, we yeah. do, I mean, we know. Yeah. But but it's like And just just to, just to just
0: interrupt Lila, no, you mentioned Vince, your your husband. See yeah. Dr. Vicente Rafael, he's no ordinary husband. He's a historian, no? Philippine historian. So yeah. he also has a professional interest in knowing, and it's not just because he married you, right?
1: <laughs> Although I credit myself with having brought him into the twenty-first century. Okay, yeah, I tease him. <laughs> I think there was this tragic anti-intellectualism in the family where these questions were seen as treachery. you know like what a traitor? how dare you ask these questions? How dare you question? When I think uh, so for me at a certain point I just I mean the whole the Scott Thompson book uh, Trustee of the Nation, I think, I mean, it, so much of it is just, you know, fluff. I mean,
0: so Sorry, what guess, sorry, anong book ito?
1: Uh just well, it's the authorized biography of FVR okay. by um, Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson's
0: a Scott Thompson's a political scientist, no? So,
1: yeah.
0: naman siya but, I mean,
1: oh. No, but what I mean is if you read the book carefully, it's like all the men in the book are you know great and strong and smart. So mm-hmm. Enrile, you know, Monte, Jodi venecia mm-hmm. but all the women are ambitious. <laughs> and so, okay. you know, if I sort of very respectfully say, you know, but wasn't Jodi
0: v- And then, you know, there are many powerful women around FBR, not just you and your mom, no? there was Corey, for example, and there was Gloria, no? So there was a lot of there was a lot there in terms of uh, attitudes, about women. Because these were not just women in this. No, community. no, but Harry, I, I, think think I, have, women.
1: I, I have to correct. that. I'm talking about women in the family.
0: I see. It, okay.
1: So um, the women in the family are generally described as ambitious. Where, but the men in the world doing all kinds of ambitious things are not. So what I'm saying is, if you point that out, then you're not being respectful. But the question, I, you know, uh, to me, I think those points are valid. I think they're fair to ask them.
0: Yes. Well, I, I don't think uh, many will disagree with you now, no, Lila? We're a much more... Uh, I guess enlightened uh, society compared to uh, his time especially in martial law when he was a when he was purely a military man you know but I guess the bottom line here Lila, is he brought a lot of the answers to your questions to his grave. Will anyone else know these answers? I mean these are answers important of course not just to you but but to many, no to the nation.
1: Uh, well that's why so That's why when there's the FVR oral legacy, um, we were not asked to give an opinion. And for the uh, FVR website, you know, there's not... It, it's, I, so I, I've asked, I said, is there a space for critical analysis and not just a hagiography, not just ra 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 shish boomba you know so and so is the greatest because that's that's when we cease to learn and grow um so i would say that after my open letter because i was in new york when i wrote that open letter and he sent me boxes and boxes of clippings Um, yeah to show me the economic development during his term. And it was all about um, Tiger economy, you know, Tiger cub of Asia, ASEAN...
0: But none of it addressed your questions about human rights during martial law, in other words.
1: No, no. So that's why I never had closure, I never laid it to rest. so I've just made it a point to spend my life trying to understand, not necessarily him, but the phenomenon of gratuitous violence, you know, unnecessary violence towards others, why it happens, when it happens. And one day I, I'll share with you my conclusions, but they're not pretty about human nature.
0: When was your last conversation with FBR, and what did you talk about?
1: Well, because my last conversation with him was twenty 2020, twenty March twenty twenty one or March or March twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty one because this year twenty twenty two. Yeah, so last year because. Um he has a cordon sanitaire around him. It's very hard to get an appointment to talk to him. And I understand also it's because they don't want him to get tired. They didn't want him to get exhausted. But you see, his birthday is March 18. And my birthday is March 19. And my mom died on March 20. So you see, this is all very emotional. My mother died on my fiftieth birthday, and so and and actually, I had just come from paying my respects to my uncle. You know, to I had gone back to the house before I went to the hospital, and my mother died. So what I'm saying is, there's this confluence, this you know concatenation of phenomena like that matrix those days are really sort of very emotional for me and so I really wanted to just touch base with him and I don't know what it is but I already knew months before my mom died that she was gonna die and it was the same thing with my uncle I basically harassed everybody so I could talk to him I could feel it that the time was coming. And so our last conversation, you know, he was, you know, he was a little bit, he had uh, mild dementia, but he, there were a lot of things he couldn't remember, but his long-term memory was spectacular. It was the short-term that was, you know, had, had failed him. And he saw me and the first thing he said is, oh, Lila, you know your mama she's the smartest one one in the family yeah huh? and I guess he forgot that she had passed but that's what he would he would see me so naman parang sinabi and he never I, did no because i don't think he want i mean they had this competitive thing which was so silly really but they loved each other
0: pero sabi nga, may sibling rivalry sila no because they were both accomplished people both in the serving in the same government
1: but i don't think my mother felt any competition from my uncle because her world was very different her interests were different her skill set was very different i really feel that um, yeah, I think the older he got the more he felt people were nagmamagaling around him and my mother was one of them and Mm-mm. I don't know whether she really was.
0: Okay, what are the remaining burning questions about martial law? I mean, what what are the questions that you wish your uncle had answered when you were talking to him? And ano pa yung mga well, does it have to
1: be martial law or can it just be all kinds of questions?
0: Well, uh, I guess those those questions that are directly relevant to him and his contemporaries, yeah. you know, the kinds of questions that only he and his contemporaries can answer because Diba? Oh, ngayon, ma- ngayon, our history is, has become very contentious no there's a yeah. there's a now there's an effort to to change it to deny it to revise it etc no so at, at the same time uh, maraming na hindi uh, sabi mo nga okay. uh, so, so for uh, me okay um sa lahat ban ba pipiliin mo, uh persons to
1: succeed you why Joe de venecia opening up the way to era, you know, which you must have seen in mm-hmm. the same way, how can you on the one hand uh, be against Marcos and pro Duterte? I mean, doesn't that seem a little naive to sort of be disappointed in Duterte when we simply had to look at his record to be able to speculate about what he might, what he would become. So there are tactical questions. Then, I mean, there are questions about the uh, independent power producers uh, in uh, those, those all those deals that went down. I don't really know. There wasn't as much transparency as I would have thought uh, mm-hmm. during uh, his presidency.
0: Excuse me, uh, Lila. No, before you before you proceed on that point, do you think he regretted supporting Duterte for the presidency? Because, as you know, Duterte credits FBR for for encouraging him. To seek the president. Of
1: course he did. Of course he did. But so, you see, with- again, the, to me, I'll tell you, to me, endorsing, you see, this is where people don't understand my uncle. They're always saying, oh, he must have endorsed so and so because of this. Actually, if you ask me, Noinoy wasn't macho enough, and Duterto was exactly the kind of macho my uncle liked. I mean, I, I'm sorry to say, but the whole issue of mas- the masculine, the thing, and the pagig magandang lalake was so important and cannot be discounted. Now, he thought that Duterte would unify the nation the way he tried to do, but on what grounds? I mean, it's like saying, it's like saying, so-and-so will be a good president because they had been a good mayor and look at that nice little municipality. It's like non sequitur. It's a very different scale of things. So did he regret it? Yes, he did. But to me, it's like, I remember we all went to vote and my mom was making song it and she was saying, Oh, I hope you're not going to vote for that Duterte, huh? you know, and um, you know, she's like a schoolmistress, you know, And mm-hmm. I remember on with my uncle and they were like making conduct, saying secret. And I already knew they didn't want to tell my mom. and what did you not want to tell my mom? or what you don't want to tell her is that you're going for Duterte And sure enough, that's what happened. But what I'm saying is, Today, when people say, oh, let's, you know, fight for change, you know, I think, well, what kind of a return of investment can you expect in six years? You have to enter every battle with a clear understanding of your own limitations within that fray. In the same way, I feel even uh, in 2015, we already knew that all that paligoy ligoy of Duterte about I'm going to run, no, I'm not going to run. He, he, it was part of a long game. He was, you know, and in that way, is very different from Lenny. I think Lenny really didn't want to run until the bitter end. I think Duterte always had that plan. So, in the same way, I think, and the Marcos have played a long game. So, my question is, why didn't you? I mean, why did you not know that Duterte would be the way he was?
0: Okay, Well, j- Lilav, just picking up on that point, no, sabi mo kanina, what appealed to, to your uncle FBR was the machismo of Duterte. And yung nga, yung may pagka, yung may pagka kamay na bakal, no? Uh, but at the same time, many have observed, and um, you may agree also that your uncle was very different from Duterte, I mean, on a very important point, no, your your uncle, from my observation as an outsider, niyeman ako insider, was very gracious. He was civil. He was polite. siya at least not in public. As president, wala tayong, you know, he never threatened to kill people. Never threatened uh, media. Never actually, as far as I know, didn't have anything, any any critics uh, jailed. So parang may disconnect don between him and and that attraction to Duterte no in fact sabi mo, that's what may have disappointed him uh, about Pinoy Pinoy was maybe the opposite of Duterte and may and may have even appeared soft but to others FVR might might have been more similar to Pinoy than to Duterte so parang it's it's no, it's hard for others to maybe hard for others to understand that
1: no, I think that what happens uh, when people are in power is they realize Gee, this is fun. I just have to pick up the phone and boom, I get this, 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 you know, and then when you get out of power, it's like, huh? you know, I have to stand in line now, you know, and it's different. And I think some, for some people, kicks in, of like, I want to maintain my right to speak. And so I already know Duterte will win. So, you know, I might as well, you know, latch on to the winning horse. I've seen it happen so many times. So I think there was that, there was this idea of, having cleaned up the streets, whatever that means, in terms of collateral damage. But, um, yeah, I think that because I was in the very difficult position of being in the Pinoy administration when my uncle would say all kinds of things about Pinoy and Pinoy would go out of his way to ignore my uncle so, siguro ayon niya ganun. Gusto siya ng pananaw niya, which I understand because he was very brilliant and he had many, many important points to make. But in my view, there's a certain protocol for ex-presidents. Like if you notice, it's not like Obama walks around, walked around telling Trump what to do, you know, and treating him like he's an idiot. Mm-mm. You know, which right no sitting president likes. Lila,
0: we want to thank you for uh, sharing all of these uh, family stories, and we yeah. hope you continue to do so. And and especially for asking your uncle if we are honest and critical questions, no. So that that's uh, much appreciated. Uh, so maraming salamat, okay. Lila. mabuhay ka.
1: Thank you so much, Maui.
0: Thank you, Podmates, for listening until the very end of this podcast. Alam nyo na, nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. This episode was produced by the team of Yu Yanga and Chan Salvador and edited by J.R. Magtoto with the wonderful people of GMA News and Public Affairs Digital. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Till the next pod, pabuhay kayo at ingat lagi.